Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. I'd like to welcome you to Everything Co-op. We're talking about cooperatives and the impact of co-ops. But today... This morning, I'd like to talk to you on the subject of marketing. Marketing is one of my favorite topics to talk about, branch of knowledge. Uh, relatively new set of knowledge, uh, like in 1950s or so, this branch of knowledge came up. My question to you is, how do you market yourself? Whatever your name is, whatever you do, how do you market yourself? Now, most people, when they talk, think they say marketing, they don't really mean marketing what they mean is promotions or advertising or uh, whether it's print advertising and media media advertising where it's tv advertising or you put an ad in the paper or looking for a job it's what, whatever it is that you're doing how do you market put your put a flyer up about your qualifications or uh, do a resume and send it out but the, how do you market yourself is the question and today, I am going to open up the phones. If you have any questions about marketing yourself or a co-op, I'll answer it. If there's anything else, we'll cut you off. So call us in at 1-800-450-7876 if you want to talk about marketing yourself or marketing, I want to say co-ops, but let's take it to any business. So first off, what is marketing? And marketing... When they first started talking about marketing, they were talking about what they called the four P's, the four P's of marketing. And those four P's are first product. The first P is product. The second P is price. The third P is place or distribution. And the fourth is promotion. And again, most of the time when people talk about marketing, they're really talking about promotions. How do you promote yourself? How do you market yourself? So if you say, this is Vernon Oaks, I am the product. I am the product. And I can teach and I can do business plans and I can run a business. I have all of these parts of me that is the product that I would sell to somebody for a price. Price, critically important when you talk about marketing is what is the price you're going to sell yourself for or in a business, whatever product that you have, what will you sell it for? And it's also interesting, there's a nice trade-off between price and product. For instance, most often, if it's a high-priced product, it means it has quality. That, not always. The price sometimes tells you about the product, and the product sometimes tells you about the price. So they go hand in hand. And it was always interesting if you put a high price on your product because you want to 
say that you are, you provide quality services or a quality, your product that you are making and delivering has high value and it lasts a long time and it does what it says it wants to do, then you may price it high, higher than your competition. And you have to be careful because if you put a low price on it, then your customer may think that the quality is not that good. It's cheap. Uh, it will break or it's inexpensive, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Now, the other place, this talks about how the product gets to the customer. If you are a manufacturing concern and you manufacture a particular widget that solves somebody's problems or make somebody able to do something, you might manufacture it in Michigan, Detroit, and you have to get it to somebody in California. So what are all of the stages that this product will go through in order to get it to the ultimate customer? And I use Detroit because I'm thinking about cars, okay? And if you know, in the distribution of cars, they have dealers. And most often the car will go to the dealer and the dealer then will sell it to the customer. And that's called the distribution channels. And the factory, Ford, General Motors, whomever, they will sell it to the dealer at a price, and then he will mark it up, he or she will mark it up and sell it to the customer. And talk about manufacturing for cars, more often than not, that the manufacturer will say, here's the price to the end user, and then this is what we'll sell it to you for. And there is a margin in there for the for the dealer to pay for its overhead and hopefully make a profit. And the fourth P after product pricing and place or distribution is promotion. And again, this is what most people talk about when they talk about marketing and promotions is just the marketing communications. How do you communicate about your product? or its price, or how they go find it in its distribution channels. Okay, this promotion communications is advertising. You have different sales promotions. You know, now now it is first of the year, so in the first of the year, you can get your mattresses with on a, a discount, or your cars, or your clothes, or whatever, or Valentine's, or Christmas, or whatever. You have all of these promotions and these sales promotions. You have public relations, personal selling, you have all kinds of different entertainment, event marketing, trade shows, okay? And now we have something called social media. So this promotion is to advertise, to tell, communicate to the customer. Hopefully these forms of communications will get the customer to respond, either to come look at it or come buy it. The ultimate is for them to come buy it. This is the four P's of marketing. So the first question is, how do you market yourself? How do you look at and take an inventory of your product, you? What do you have to offer the world? What problems can you solve? And then what will the world or the universe pay you for your skill set? And just like any other product, if your skill set is considered quality, high price, and perhaps you solve major problems in the universe or in a particular community, then 
that community normally pays you more. If you, if your skill set solves a some minor problems in the community, then the community normally pays you a little. And of course, if you go back to slavery, the slaves provided great skill, had great skills, and provided great services. But that system was designed to pay in terms of price as little as possible. Now, what they provided in price was some form of shelter. I say that with cringe, some form of food, some form of clothing. But it was always as not about always, but most of the time when you read and you study about that period in time, you found out that the African-Americans was given very, very little in any kind of living conditions uh, and the scraps off the table. What was always so interesting to me is how we would take the scraps and make delicacies out of it. Pig ears, pig feet, chitlins, make any difference. Whatever the scraps were, we figured out how to make a delicacy out of it and sing praises for what we got. Tremendous gratitude, which is what caused us to be able to last through those 400 years. Product, what's your product? How do you price it? Where do you deliver it? What's your distribution system? And how do you promote yourself? Now, if you're a lawyer, it wasn't always, but lawyers now promote themselves on TV. That wasn't always the case, and they didn't always have that ability. Doctors advertise on television. Pharmaceuticals could not, could not advertise all of their meds on, like they do today. To try to convince the customer, the, the end user of the product, to go tell their doctor, I want X product, they don't normally tell you about the price. So this is marketing the four Ps. The other one is four C's, the marketing mix. Now, when I taught marketing at Howard between 89 and 94, my boss was Larry Johnson. He had a little book on four C's, and his four C's were customer, competition, the climate, and that climate, you're really talking about the environment. What's the laws of the land? How do people think and act? Um, Customer, competition, climate, and he called it calculations. What is your margin? What does it take for you to break even or make a profit? Do the calculation. But the question is, who are your customers? And for your individually, depending on your skill set, who are your customers? Who would you want to send a communications to to persuade them to act? Either hire you. Or if you're starting a business, to loan you money or whatever you need in order to start that business. But who are your customers? And it's critical to figure out who your competition is. One of the best, most compelling uh, marketing plans that I had when I was at Howard, that one of the students did, he was uh, in the NFL, he was in the football league, and he was a wide receiver. When he gave his presentation, he had come back to finish his degree. And uh, he earned an A from me because when he gave his presentation, the rest of the students were on the, the end of their seat listening to him talk about himself as a product. What was his skill sets? What were his st statistics? 
But when he got to competition, he could talk about the other wide receivers. And he talked about the top five and where he fit in with that and what he had to do to become one of the top five. And then he talked about the NFL and how it works in terms of climate. What is the NFL all about? He talked a little bit about conditionings and and uh, well-being. And you get down to money, both in terms of his price, what could he demand in the NFL, but wh- you know what are calculations? Now, in calculation for a football star, you don't have the the sort of the cost of goods sold. It, he doesn't have a lot of costs, but you do have to worry about your your well-being. But it was an interesting, extremely thought-provoking and had everybody, including me, uh, listening to him talk about himself and the marketing for himself. So the question becomes, for you, how do you market yourself? And if you're in business, how do you market that business? And if you're in a co-op, how do you market the co-op? And that's what we're going to talk about more when we come back in terms of marketing. What are the different types of co-ops? And how do they market themselves and distinguish the difference between marketing and promotions? We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Information is power. Welcome back. This is Everything Co-op, and I'm your host, Vernon Oaks. WOL has been our partner for nine years we've been on the air in this show. And one of the reasons is because of their motto, information is power. And the first week, matter of fact, the first month we were on the show, we had a gentleman from Senegal who said, it's only when you put information into action that you get the power. You have to put the information into action. So we're talking today about marketing, whether marketing yourself or marketing your business, marketing your co-op. And we're giving you information of how you can market yourself and what are the four P's of marketing, the four C's of marketing. And right now I want to talk to you about co-ops and we'll get to how do you market the co-op. So there are four types of co-ops. But before, you know, we talk about the four types of co-ops, let's talk about what is a cooperative. What is a co-op? So co-op is a business. It's a business. It's owned and controlled by its members. Okay, Owned and controlled by its members. It's designed for its members. It's designed by its members and for its members. Therefore, if there's a surplus or a profit, they call profit surplus if it's a non-profit, then those members decide what happens to that profit. How much of it do they pay themselves? How much do they keep in the business for growth? How much might they give to different entities in the community to help the community? Or what might they do to help the community? 
since social responsibility or concern for community is what the co-op is about also. A co-op is a business owned and controlled by its members. Okay? Owned and controlled by its members for its members. So there's four types of co-ops, four types of business that have members. Those members own and control these types of co-ops. And the first one is if the business is only controlled by the employees, then it's a worker co-op. So it, that could be any business, any business you can think of, whether that is Ford, which you mentioned, or General Motors or IBM or your local barbershop or your local restaurant. Any business you could think of could be owned and controlled by its employees. Now, the larger the business, the more employees it is, the more complicated it may become, but it could be owned and controlled by its employees. If it's owned and controlled by the persons that buys the products or services, i.e. the consumer, if the consumer owns and controls it, it's called a consumer co-op. Types of consumer co-ops are housing co-ops. In the U.S., most of you will find that most housing co-ops in, in New York City and then in Washington, D.C. and Chicago, you'll find some in San Francisco, some in Atlanta, uh, but throughout the U.S., Chicago, up in the Madison, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, you find co-ops all over, um, housing co-ops, that is. Now, credit unions is another form of consumer co-op that's only controlled by the consumer. Those people that put their money, make deposits, have checking accounts, they own. Too often, they don't control it because they don't know they own it, which is one of the reasons for this show. Credit unions are all over, and there are plenty of them throughout the U.S. They were created to help people get financing. Banks were not helping the everyday person, the person that did not have a lot of wealth or did not have land, did not have collateral. Banks were not funding them. And then there are some places that come around to fund them and they charge them extremely high interest rates. So credit unions are formed to help its members, which are the consumers, which are the people that do business in the credit union, have checking accounts, make deposits. Then food co-ops could be owned, and that's the way they first got started, to my knowledge, was they got started being owned by the people that shopped in the food co-op, in the, in the grocery store. The people that shop there own it. Now, there are some food co-ops that are owned by the workers. So they are worker co-ops owned by the employees. And there are some food co-ops that are called hybrids. They are owned by both the employee and the consumer. Food co-ops are extremely interesting, and they, they are a solution to food deserts where we don't have nutritional foods. REI, Recreation Equipment. It was formed by, I believe, two people. It may have been four because they didn't have good recreational equipment. They didn't have good climbing gear, I think, in Colorado. And now there are millions and millions of consumers that are members of REI that own it. Now, how, how much do they control it? How many people know if you're a member in REI that you have voice, 
that you can vote for the board of directors, you can run for and get elected on the board, and you have control. You hire and management, and you control management. That is, you can. There's a health clinic in Madison, Wisconsin, that is a consumer co-op. So you have a clinic, a health clinic, that's owned by the patients, and they set the rules. Okay? Those are consumer co-ops, only controlled by the persons that uses the products or the service. And now you got two other types of, of co-ops, and they are, normally they're businesses, sometimes that other businesses form to provide a service for those businesses. So if a group of people come together or a group of businesses come together to purchase products and services, they normally get a better product, a better quality at a lower price because they're buying in volume. And this business, what they do in this business is go through the vendors and find out who provides the best quality for the best price for for their members, this group of people to start it. So you get farmers. They're, they use this model a lot to buy their fertilizer, their their seed, gas, equipment, whatever they need, they they can buy it through their purchasing co-op. Now, Ace Hardware is a purchasing co-op. Each one of these hardware stores, these individual mom and pop stores, buy from Ace so they can compete against the big box stores like Home Depot or Lowe's because Ace then buys for all of these stores all out throughout the U.S. And because they buy in such quantity and because then Ace can study all of the different vendors who provides the best hammers at the best price, then these mom and pops Ace Hardware stores in these communities then can provide the hammer uh, and compete against Home Depot or Lowe's, Walmart, big box stores. Those are called a purchasing co-op. And the fourth group is a marketing co-op. And this group of people come together or businesses to market their products, to market their services. And they get access to more markets than they could individually get. And normally they can then get a better price for their products or their services. So farmers came together and created Cabot Creamery, Lando Lakes, Ocean Spray, and artists, like there's an artist group in Pittsburgh called Ujama, a group of black women, came together to market their products, and they have a storefront. There's one in Zuni, New Mexico, with the Zuni Native Americans who've been there for 7,000 years. They created a co-op, and they rented a building. In both cases, Ujama and Zuni rented a building, and they have a storefront to market their products, which each individual artist could not afford to have a storefront to market and a web page and everything that they need. And this is called a marketing co-op. So the question today is how, if you have a worker co-op or consumer co-op or purchasing co-op or marketing co-op, how do you market the products that you have? Okay. That's what we're talking about. Your product, your price, your distribution uh, systems, and how do you promote it? So we're going to talk about that some more when we come back. Uh, matter of fact, when we come back, we're going to talk about the values and principles of cooperation. And these values and principles need to be in your marketing 
communications also. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op. This program is being sponsored. Our main sponsor is the National Cooperative Bank. NCB has been with us for the whole nine years. Um, They have helped us to understand the whole layout of this co-op world in um, in the United States, the different actors. I grew up in the housing co-op sector, and so I knew about the housing co-ops in the U.S., but I did not know about all the the vast numbers of uh, businesses in this whole co-op world, and NCB has helped us with that. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for Americans' cooperatives and their members. This is what gets me, though, especially in low-income communities. And that's where you'll find brown, black, and indigenous folks and poor white folk. And they do this support these cooperatives and their members by providing innovative financial and related services. And, you know, when you're loaning money in low-income or low-resource, low-wealth communities, you have to be innovative because most financial institutions, particularly banks, only look at, or they mainly look at two things, and that's how much collateral you have and what kind of income you have to pay back the loan because they're only interested in getting their money back. And so if you're not able to pay the loan back, they're wanting to know what kind of collateral can they go then get from you to pay that loan back. National Co-op Bank has been just really a wonderful, wonderful partner. And as we have interviewed people, Throughout this nine years, uh, it's amazing the number of people that have used the services of National Cooperative Bank. So we talked about the four different types of co-ops, and we have said that a co-op is a business that is owned and controlled by and for its members. And the members is what's key here. And again, what I got excited, I've said this before in the air, and I'll keep saying it, but I got excited about co-ops because as I was managing housing co-ops, and a lot of often they were called limited equity co-ops, and the members of those co-ops were normally people that were sort of 50% or below the median family income of Washington, D.C. So that could have been $50,000 a year income or 30000 or 20000 In one case, a senior citizen 16-unit property, limited equity housing co-op, when we first started managing it 22 years ago, they could only make $12,000 a year or less. So very low income. And what I was amazed about, though, was you got everyday people, sometimes at most a high school education, sometimes some college, every now and then a college degree, not much income, tremendous amount of common sense, integrity, and they made great decisions. They held themselves accountable and each other accountable. And they held me accountable as their managing agent to make sure that people did what they said they were going to do. So I got excited about this co-op model. 
And by the way, in these limited equity housing co-ops, they were mainly black women running these boards. Every now and then you get some men on the board, mostly black men in these in Washington, D.C., limited equity housing co-ops. And as I've had some of these members of these boards on the air, what they've told me was what they learned in running the housing co-op, what they have, what they learned, they could also apply in their life. Things like budgeting, saving. You had to save for the business. You had to save to replace the roof. And so they started doing the same thing in their personal life. So you've got the four different types of co-ops, but what makes a co-op a co-op? How do you know a co-op is a co-op? And I have it. You can tell a co-op is a co-op if it's being operating under the values and principles of cooperation. If it's being operated under values and principles of cooperation. So the values are self-help. It starts with self. That's interesting to me. Self-help, self-responsibility. Talked about responsibility, holding each other responsible. Democracy, equality, equity, and solidarity. Starts with self-help, it ends with solidarity, and that's the group. We had a 16-unit housing co-op. Solidarity was making decisions, individually making decisions on what was best for the group. Not necessarily what's best for a particular individual, but what's best for the group. And those co-ops that were highly successful, they made decisions on what's best for the group. That's the cooperative values, but I really like the ethical values that co-ops have. If it's being operated as a co-op, there's honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for others. I like to say caring for one another or the golden rule. So it's self-help with solidarity, and I'm making decisions on what's best for the other members of the organization caring for the other members of the organization. That's what makes co-op so exciting. That's what makes it so exciting. And then these co-op principles, there's seven cooperative principles, and these are the guidelines by which cooperatives put their values into practice. So you take these values that we talked about and you want to put them in practice, you go along with these principles. And the first one is voluntary, voluntary and open membership doesn't make any difference about your demographics. What gender are you? Where were you born? Um, what is your race? What's your religion? What politics? It just doesn't make any difference. If it's being run as a co-op, it's open to everybody. Democratic member control. Now, we're going to come back and talk about that first one, the volunteer and open membership in a minute. But democratic member control is the second one. And that's one member, one vote. And in a co-op, there's a lot of teaching about this voting. So co-op members really get into and understand about voting and the importance of voting. And they take that out into the society and vote. And also they begin also beginning to run for city council or Board of Education, etc. you find that often or a lot of times that the members on city councils and Board of Education and other positions started off as a cooperator. 
The third principle is member economic participation. Simply put that normally there is a fee to get into a co-op and when and if there's the profit, you get some money back. The fourth one is autonomy and independence. That's the control part. You have to own it and control it. And no government entity or even if you go and get a loan, they cannot have control. They cannot end up saying how this co-op runs. The only way if it's a co-op and run as a co-op is the members have the say on how this works. Now, how do members get to know how it works, particularly if they don't have a lot of formal education? But even formal education, you still need education, training, and information, and that's the fifth principle. And that's the main principle that I fell in love with when I learned about co-ops because that's how these individuals, again, mostly black women in these housing co-ops in the Washington, D.C. area, some black men, some white men and women, but mostly black women, how do they get to know how to make these really informed decisions when they replace the roof, when to go into collections if somebody wasn't paying their co-op fee or rent, if you will? When do you hold management accountable? How do you hold management accountable? It all comes with training and information. It's like, how do you run a business? education, training, and information. And that's the heartbeat of a co-op. And that needs to be continuous training. The cooperators, the members, and the board continuously get information, continuously get training. Laws change. Culture change. The members may have been, on average, 40 years old when they got started, but now 20 years old, they're 60, 65, 70, and they have, they have different needs. How do they age in place and stay in place? Continually edu- being educated, training, and information. And then the building changes. That roof might need to be changed after 20, 25, 30 years. How do you have enough money to pay for that roof when it needs to be replaced? And how do you make the decision to replace it as opposed to keep patching it and keep getting water messing up the units on the inside? The sixth principle is cooperation among co-ops. Cooperatives serve their members. But also when you have this cooperation among co-ops, you get a regional, citywide, statewide, nationwide economy. You also have international structures. International Cooperative Alliance, all of these co-ops come together and try to figure how do you help the community? How do you help people that's in in the co-ops? How do you help families? And the seventh principle is concern for the community. Co-ops work for the sustainable development, sustainable, long-term development of their communities. So these are the principles and values of co-ops. And again, a co-op is a co-op if it's being operated by these values that are put in place by with these principles. And I said I wanted to come back and talk about principle number one, volunteer and open membership. Because when you look at co-ops, you'll still see that most of them, outside of the housing co-ops that I talked to you about, are run by white men. So you take a co-op with all of these nice values and principles and you put it in a racist economy environment like the U.S. and you end up with white men. So some 
organizations have put in the eighth principle, it's DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And when I first, I thought you don't need it because you have uh, principle number one, but it turns out that that's needed to put some emphasis to make sure that all, all cultures, all races, all genders are representative in the business because that's also what you have as customers. So it seems like it just makes sense to make sure that all people are represented in, in a particular business at all level, management all the way through, because that's also who you're going to be supporting. But that's going to take take some doing to get rid of white supremacy and all that that is involved in this systemic racism that we have in the U.S. But I have it that co-ops is a way of getting at that with these values and principles because capitalistic businesses don't have these values and principles. So co-ops is a way of, of getting at this. So we're going to come back after the, the final break here and talk about marketing of these different types of co-ops and what the future looks like. We'll be right back. Information is power. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op. And, you know, when we look at how do you market, how do you market your business? How do you, how do you go about putting together a plan that looks at whatever product that you're offering, what price, what is the best price for that product, how you're going to get your product out to the customer, and how are you going to get the customer the information to know about your product? How are you going to promote it? That's what we're talking about today, and we've talked about the four types of co-ops and the values and principles. And I would suggest to you that from a cooperative standpoint, when you market a co-op brand, you really need to market these values and principles. Because when you look at competition, and I said that was one of the four C's, the competition to cooperation is capitalism. And as each of us know, capitalists too often are not concerned about society or not concerned about their employees. They're concerned about the almighty dollar. What's the return on investment for the shareholder? Not, not a bad thing. It's just it's too all-consuming. What is best for the shareholder? And when that's the all-consuming aspect of a capitalistic business, you end up with things like climate change. What is best for the business may be coal, burning coal, as opposed to other forms of energy. And that puts all kinds of things in the environment, which are not good for us. And we believe that's what's calling all of this rain in California. Firestorms, uh, windstorms, wind fires. You get all of these different kinds of behaviors and uh, the tornadoes and hurricanes simply because men throughout the world are making decisions on how do you get the best return on investment as opposed to 
the value package, the principles of cooperation, which is taking care of my brother, taking care of one another, being honest, being open, being concerned about society, and taking care of others. These values are the main thing to me that we ought to market when we talk about co-ops. And we need to make sure the co-ops are operating under these principles. And where they're not, then start getting them to operate honestly, open, social responsibility, and caring for others. And in, individuals in the co-op operate self-help, self-responsibility, democracy, equality, equity, and solidarity. Are co-ops operating that way? And if they are operating in a way, that's what we need to promote and tell people about. Dr. Jessica gordon Nimhard in her book, Collective Carriage, talked about the history of co-ops in African-Americans. And there's a tremendous history, tremendous history. And when you look at that history, you, you will see that that blacks have flourished in this cooperative system flourished, done extremely well. And too often, whites didn't understand how we did so well given how how badly they treated us and an economy and a system treated us, but how well we have done. And she said in the book that co-ops, sort of like on average, if you look at five years, they'll be, they've been around, 90% of co-ops that were started five years ago are still around today where 90% of capitalistic businesses have failed. You only have 10% around after five years. Why are those co-ops much more successful? One is that training. You may have a co-op that is in training one, two, three, four, five years before it opens its doors. And sometimes by going through that training, they decide not to open their doors. But they get the training and they make that decisions. They get to, they communicate between each other. So those that start because of the training, because it's so focused on the society and helping society and solving society and communal problems, the communities for them, and they're much more likely to buy from them. The co-op just must make sure they communicate, promote the co-op, that they're providing a product that has quality, that solves the community problem that they're talking about, providing a product or services at a price that's competitive, that's fair, that gives them a profit, that they place this product and make it easy for people to get whatever the distribution channel is. And the main thing they have to do is promote this. Whatever the mechanism, whether that's print media or digital media, whether social media, however they do it, TV advertisement, radio advertisement, billboards, coupons. Promote and communicate to people, here's the product we are providing. But under that product are these values and these principles. That's what's underneath the product. That's why co-ops are so successful, because underneath the product are the values and the principles. And so people can be more assured they're going to get a quality product at a good price for that product. This is what makes co-ops so exciting. We need them. We need more of them. So I'd encourage you to start a co-op. 
you know, if you are a um, nurse, if you are a home health care worker, if you are a lawyer, if you are an architect, no matter what the skill set that you have, see if you can get two, three, four, or five other people together and create your own co-op. Get the training. There's a co-op ecosystem. There's trainers around. There's trainers. There's people that help you to get the other uh, technical knowledge that you need, sometimes free. That's a good price. It's a good value proposition. Get the training you need. Get the technical support you need. You get the legal advice that you need. Normally, that's not free. And get financing and help with the financing. There's a whole ecosystem in different communities, but also throughout the U.S. You can go to ncba.coop. NCBA, National Cooperative Business Association, is the umbrella association for co-ops in the U.S., and they do a lot of work internationally. You can get information about co-ops. You can get information from there about different places you can go to get help. Um, they're also very active in advocacy, getting the local and federal government entities to uh, pass laws to help co-ops. And then you have the U.S. Federation of Worker Co-ops. And the U.S. Federation of Worker Co-ops, you can go to usworker.coop, usworker.coop, to get information about becoming a member there. But you can also find a worker co-op, and you can also find resources to help you to start your worker co-op at usworker.coop. There are lots of resources. Once you get involved in this, lots of resources. But you, if you're working for a company, you can also look at getting resources to teach you how you can convert that company to a co-op where the employees will own it. And there's a lot of co-ops that are owned and controlled by people that are baby boomers, 65 years and older, and most of them don't have a succession plan. And they'll either close up or they'll sell them to somebody that may take the business out of the community and the people lose their jobs. It's a great opportunity for the employees to get loans, get information, get the training they need to take over the ownership of that business. Don't be afraid of it. You may not know it, but don't be afraid of it. Start your co-op or convert to a co-op, and we'll see you next Thursday. We'll talk more about cooperation. Have a great week. Information is power.